Well, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible under this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand. If you didn't bring your Bible, you forgot a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. But grab a copy of God's Word. Open up to Galatians chapter 2. We'll be going uh, from verse 15 to the end of the chapter this morning. I don't know about you and your family, but, but and with me and, and my girls and my wife, there are some Saturday mornings where it's just one of us as a parent who's there. So whether Libby's gone or I'm gone, and we're just kind of doing the one parent thing, and depending on which parent is there for the Saturday, changes how that Saturday is going to be. All right, so, and it, it, my kids recognize this and it changes how they interact. So, so here's what I'm talking about. If, if Libby's the one staying home on a Saturday and I'm gone for some reason, when the kids wake up, they know because mom's home, they can't just flake out in front of the TV all day binging on Netflix cartoons, right? They can't do that. So what do they do with mom? Here's what they do. They begin to negotiate. Because I know mom's a negotiator, so, so they say, hey, mom, if, if I do my piano lessons, if I, if I do my chores, if I clean my room, can we watch more TV? They negotiate. They, they do it with food, too, with her, right? Like, hey, hey, mom, if I finish these five Brussels sprouts you have on my plate, could I get chocolate ice cream with syrup on it, right? Mom's like, yeah, of course you can. Okay. What if I eat four of them? Can I still get, right? They start to negotiate. Well, when dad's home for a Saturday, it's a little different. All right, dad's not a negotiator, dad's a pushover, all right? So when I'm there and they're like, hey dad, can we just sit on the couch and watch Netflix cartoons for the whole day? And I'm like, that sounds like an awesome idea. Let's do it and I'll join you, right? And can we just eat ice cream and stuff for breakfast? Another good idea, let's eat that too, right? And so I kind of turn out like, like, like I'm not the negotiator, I'm more like the, the kind old grandpa, right? And, and it doesn't matter how bad you are, how spoiled you get, I'm just gonna give whatever you want. Do you want, do you want candy, do you want money? Like, let's do this, right? Here's the thing. In, in our quest to be right with God, so, so many people will view God as one of those two views. God's either a negotiator, and I recognize that, that God has a standard, a holy and just standard uh, that he sets in place, and I recognize that I'm not meeting that standard. And so because I would view God as a negotiator, I go, okay, Lord, I'm gonna do my best to live up to your standard. I know I can't make it, but let's make a deal. And if, if, if I serve you like this, or if I'm more committed to you, or if I go to church more often, if I spend more time in the Word, then could you come up with your part of the deal? Whatever that might be. Could, could you bring forgiveness? Could you allow me to have a relationship with you, God, and I, I get to heaven? Could, could you take care of these great needs that I have? And I'll do my thing, and I'll do all of this, and I negotiate. Why? Because we believe that God has demands, and we feel like we could probably arrange a pretty good deal. Now, the other side of that are, are those, may, may, maybe you think, well, God's not, God doesn't have a holy and just standard, and he doesn't have a demands over me. He's more like a, an old grandpa. And yeah, God sees that I, I don't always do things right. The kids are a bit spoiled, but, but he's still going to love me anyway. He's not going to be too concerned because he's just a grandpa. He, he can look the other way. He still give me good gifts anyway. 
And, and why wouldn't God give me good gifts? Because God loves me. And, and I'm really not that bad. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not as bad as the person beside me. And so God's going to just give me gifts. But here's the thing. The Bible plants a very different, presents a very different picture of who God is. The Bible says that God does have demands of us. That he is pure and holy and ultimately just. So he's not like our nice old grandpa. He's not just going to wink and look the other way at our shortcomings. And, and we're not okay. We're not deserving. And then God being holy and just, he's not going to grade on a curve. But here's the thing. The Bible is also clear that God's not a negotiator. God is the creator of the universe. There is nothing that we can offer him. There's nothing that he needs that we can give him to earn his favor. There's nothing that we can do or stop doing to be able to ultimately please God, to be right with God. And so, so here we are searching for righteousness and go, well, where can I find it from then? And maybe you're saying, but Pastor Kai, that whole righteousness thing, I'm not looking for righteousness. That's a religious thing. I don't, I don't struggle with religion. I, I have no deal with that. I don't want to pursue that. So I don't really care about being right or righteous because we think of righteousness as being good. That's not really the, what the word means. That to be righteous isn't just being good. The word has more to do with relationship, about being right with someone. You think about it this way, uh, I pay my cell phone bill, why? Because I want to be right with the cell phone company. If I don't pay my cell phone bill, I won't be right with the cell phone company and I'll lose my cell phone. Think about it in re relationships. You, you want to be in right relations with those around you so you're, you're kind and you're generous and you're humble and you're reliable. But if you drop the ball on those and you start being selfish and dishonest and unreliable and greedy and prideful, listen, the relationship, what? It begins to fall apart. You're not right in the relationship. And we read in Scripture that all the way back in the beginning of time when God created Adam and Eve, they were right with God. The Garden of Eden was right. Everything was right. And then Adam and Eve decided, no, I don't, I don't, like, the, I don't like the setup. They wanted to be their, their own God, their own kings. And we, we'd like to rule the universe. And so sin enters in and they were no longer right with God. Because of that, Shame enters the story. Brokenness enters the story. And so now here we all are, born into a world that we know intrinsically, we just know, we have this innate knowledge that things aren't right, that we're not acceptable, we're not worthy, we're not lovable. And so what do we do because of that? Because we recognize that, we look for acceptance and love and being made right in other things. We look for ways to cover our unworthiness or earn worthiness. And, and listen, you can have the greatest parents in the world be raised in the most loving home, and yet what do you still find yourself doing? Searching for love and acceptance. We look for it in friends. We look for it in our work. We look for it in our own self-image. And if I look the right way, then I'll be accepted. Everybody is looking for righteousness to be in right standing. It's a deep soul yearning and need that all of us are seeking after. And so we have to ask the question, if that's the case, what do I do to be right? 
What does it look like to be loved and accepted and whole? Because it seems pretty bleak when you lay it out according to Scripture, that, that, that striving after it doesn't work, that we, we can't be right with God by just negotiating our way to it. God isn't just going to wink and look the other way and say, you know what, you're just going to be right anyway. No, the reality of where we stand is very bleak. But listen, there is good news. And this text we're going to get into this morning will show us there is a way, a way where we don't need to negotiate, a, a way where we, we don't need to rely on our own righteousness, but we can be made right. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point. I am justified. I am justified. Now remember, we're, we're in the middle of an argument here, actually, in verse 15, that Paul was arguing with Peter Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, was arguing with the disciple Peter because Peter had been caught in this idea that we're made right by striving to do things. If I do the religious, right, Jewish kind of things, I'll be right with God. Look at verse 15. Paul says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, now get this before I go further. He's setting up a contrast here. Right, but the contrast isn't good versus bad, right? It's not Jewish, good, Gentile, bad. What he's saying is he's saying the contrast of Jews who know the law, who know there's a standard. They, they were given the law by God. They understand that, that God's standard, his justice, what, what's owed him, what's, what's right for us to give to him, they, they know what that is. They know the law of God, and so they were religious, the Gentiles, the contrast is, they're the irreligious. They don't understand. They don't know that there's a law of God. They're not clear on what God expects. They, they, they don't understand that God has any sort of standard or agenda. So they don't care. I'm not trying to reach any standards. I don't even know there is a standard. So, so here's the deal. The Jews would have seen God as a negotiator. I'll do this religious thing. I'll try to meet your standards. If I don't quite meet them, I'll do what I can. And God, you're going to do your part and I'll be made right with you. The, the Gentile, the contrast he has here would have been those who would be seeking after God like a, like a kind old grandpa. I'm not sure what God expects, but I'm just hoping that he's going to be okay with me, that I'll be right with God. And so there's this quest for righteousness, a quest to be right with God, for wholeness, for our souls to be right. And what happens is some run hard and fast to religion. Like, I'll get it there if I just do all these things, if I fill all this standard and, I get, and it's empty. You get to the end and realize this didn't do anything for me. This didn't fill that deep soul need that I have. And so, so then others will run away from that. And I'm going to run into doing whatever I want to do. I'm going to eat, drink, be married. Tomorrow we die. I'm just going to pursue all of those things, the cravings I have. And eventually after time, you discover that's empty too. So Paul gives us our answer for righteousness. Verse 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now Paul keeps using this word justified. Well, what's he saying? He's saying be made right. And the only way we can be made right is faith in Christ. Not these works we're going after, nothing else we try to do, no religious activity, no trying to figure stuff out deep inside, but faith in Jesus Christ. We're made right by trusting in Jesus alone and his work on the cross. 
Now let's unpack that a little bit. He used this term justification. What's that mean? It's, it's a legal term. The opposite of justification would be condemned. So picture yourself standing in a court of law and the judge comes up and you are guilty. The judge pronounces condemnation on you like you are condemned. You're moving into the punishment phase. Justified is the opposite of that. You're declared innocent. The judge says you're free to go. That's justification. But here's the amazing truth of God's justification declared in you if you have faith in Jesus Christ. When he proclaims you being justified through faith in Christ, you're declared innocent, listen, even though we're guilty. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. Listen, don't understand this as, as you are wrongly charged and they're going to make a Netflix series about your life, how you are wrongly charged, and we'll get, right? No, it's not us being wrongly charged coming into the courtroom. No, we are guilty. But it says here through Christ, we are justified. The judge says you're free to go. Now, how is that possible? Because we know that God's not a kind old grandpa who winks and looks the other way. He is holy and just. He has demands, perfect, holy demands. And we fail to meet them. Let's say it's in Christ. It's through Christ that God justifies us, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, takes on human flesh. And, and really what happens is Jesus does two things. He lives this perfect life that we could never live. And he dies a horrible death so that we don't have to. So God in his love meets his demand for us. And when we put our faith, our trust, the the full weight of our life in Jesus Christ, his death and his life are accredited to our account. Now, when you hear that, there's a bit of a problem with that. And here's the problem when you, when I don't know if you struggle with this, but when I hear that, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's it? And there needs to be something more than that. That that can't be enough. There's got to be something more to this than just, it's, it's in Christ, putting your full weight, your trust, your life in Christ. And we're going to talk as we work our way through this letter to the Galatian church. Listen, when that happens, you will live differently. You will be transformed. You'll be changed. But the truth of the gospel is the foundation. And that truth is this. You are made right through faith in Christ. End of story. Period. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had lived my sinful life so that he could treat me for eternity as if I'd lived Jesus' perfect life. That's the great exchange. We bring our sinful life. Christ says, I'll take that, crucified on the cross, and now he gives us his perfect record. He takes our punishment. And Paul here says, listen, no one's justified by living up to the law. Why? Because we can't do it. None of us can do it perfectly. The gospel isn't, hey, live a righteous life, do all the best things you can, bring it to God as an offering, and he owes you righteousness now, justification. No, the gospel's the opposite. God gives us justification, so we give him our lives. Our only hope is putting faith in Jesus Christ. 
And, and not just a mental, uh, not just a, yeah, I get that, I believe in Jesus. No, it's this running to Christ as our only hope, placing all our hope, our whole position, saying, I'm putting this all on Jesus. And if that's you, you live as one not condemned any longer. You're justified. You're free to go. You're free to walk in the life that God's called you to. Now, Paul doesn't stop there, though. He, he keeps going. I mean, that, that's good news. That's great news. But Paul keeps going. He says, he says this in verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now, what's Paul saying? He's saying, hey, listen, Peter, if it's not about doing religious things, it's only about the gospel, about faith in Christ. If it's that alone, he goes, and yet we keep sinning, the argument that's being put forward is the gospel's too easy. If that's all it is, people will just run headlong into sin. It's a little bit like saying, hey, if Jesus says this is all you need, Jesus is actually saying, so go and sin. That's what Paul's saying. Is that what you, no, certainly not. But we're declared righteous. I mean, that's how God views us. But I mean, my, my guess is everybody here sinned this week. Anybody here sinned this week? Okay, four of you, five of you, that's great. All right. We've got a bigger problem. If no, yeah, every one of us, right? So, so, so we are justified. And yet here, here's the, the problem. Our second point this morning, I still sin. I still sin. And Paul's saying, yeah, you still sin, but listen, don't believe this religious lie that you're, you're sinning because the gospel's too easy. Don't throw out the gospel because we're struggling in sin. Paul's saying, listen, don't let people telling you that Jesus plus nothing equals everything is wrong because you're in sin. Don't let, don't let this lie come in. Well, don't, don't believe that. You'll just sin more. Paul says the gospel doesn't produce more sin. And yet we have to ask the question, well, well, listen, if I've been declared righteous before God, that's my standing before God, why do I still struggle with sin? I'd say it this way, imagine you were in prison and one day you were pardoned, you're set free, you get to go, and yet after you're living your life out in freedom, you, you start to think, man, I think I'd rather go back to jail. And so you go to the ward and you're like, hey, hey, could I just live in jail? And he's like, you're crazy. What do you think? I just, I just would rather live in jail. And he's like, okay, come on in. So you, you get your prison cell. You, you get your orange jumpsuit. You go into jail. You start lifting weights in the, the yard. And you go to arts and crafts to make a shiv, right, to protect yourself. Like you are in, I watch TV. That's all I get my jail from, right? All right. So that's, you're in prison now, right? You're doing all the things the prisoners do in prison, but here's one key difference. You're not actually a prisoner. You're innocent. You're free. You can leave whenever you want. Now, why would you ever want to step back into that prison cell? It's crazy, but here's the thing. Spiritually, we do it all the time. I mean, every day I find myself going back into the prison, back in the prison of, of sin, back in the prison of trying to make myself righteous, back in the prison of looking for things to make me right. Look in verse 18. Paul says this, he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's saying, listen, if I go back to build up the system I had of trying to make myself right, it's me going back to jail. 
And I, I can do all I can to decorate that jail cell to make it look pretty. I'll put wallpaper on it. I'll put a Glade plug in so hopefully it smells a little better. It's still a jail cell. I'm still living as though I don't have Christ. The, the Bible gives it a different phrase as well. It says not, not only are you enslaved to that, but it's, it's idolatry. What we're doing is we're taking these things that have no life. That's what an idol is, right? It's a statue with no life in it, but we worship it as though it has life. So we give life and power to something that has no power. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When I pursue something other than the cross, when I move back into that prison cell, when I look for hope and meaning in people, in my work, in my image, in my status, when I look deep within myself and see if I can find it there, when I pursue it in sin, I'm choosing idols with no power. And Jesus, but I have something so much more for you than that. Don't go back into the jail cell. So think of it this way. Think of idols in this sense, that where I seek power and influence. And Jesus says, you have everything in me. I look for a, approval of people, and Jesus says God has already stated his approval and his love for you in the cross. I strive for control, and, and Jesus says, listen, I'm in control, and I'll use all these circumstances to make you more like me. I, I strive to look good and perform well, and Jesus says, I love you no matter how you perform. I worry about being alone, and Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I want total independence. Nobody tell me what to do. I'm going to figure it out all on my own, and Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I, I look to my work for my self-worth, and Jesus says, listen, all the ability that you have to do that was from my gracious hand. I, I try to change so much so that people will love me and accept me. And Jesus says, you're accepted and loved already. I, I, I strive for nice things to surround myself with. And Jesus says, your riches are in me. You're a child of the king. I strive so hard. How can I have the right self-image? And Jesus says, God made you in his image. I have to. I reach. I have to. I have to. I have to. And Jesus says, listen, it's by faith that you're made right. It's by faith that you're justified. And we give so much power to so many dead things. The gospel speaks this truth. Says, no, 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 let, let me point you to where there really is life. Those things you pursue, there's no life there. Not, I mean, I just gave a whole list of things, and, and maybe you, you hear those, and one or two kind of, you go, man, that, that's me. Maybe you're like me, a train wreck. You're like, man, most of those are me every day. Where's our hope found? Our hope is found in the word of God, in, the, in what Jesus says about us, not what we say about us. So what's the gospel say? Listen, the gospel presses in on our pride. When we think we've got this whole thing figured out and I'm doing pretty good, the gospel steps in and says, really? Because you're more sinful than you would ever dare admit. Jesus, so sinful, Jesus had to die in your place. But, but then when we come out the other way and, and, and we have more of the pity party, like, well, actually, I'm so horrible. I'm so worthless. I've got nothing. Then the second part of the gospel comes and goes, but listen, you're more loved than you would ever dare imagine. 
I mean, that's the gospel. More sinful than I would ever want to admit. At the same time, more loved than I would ever imagine. That's the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel that through Jesus Christ, listen, your record isn't changed. Satan can still point to facts in your life. Here's the sin. Here's what you've done. Listen, all those are true. We still have sin, but God does not view you that way. His view has changed. He now sees Christ when he sees you. So justification, it's not about getting things right and doing things right. It's a position. It's a relationship that's changed. And now God sees his perfect son when he sees you, when you put your faith in him. So when he says you're justified, it's not just that you're declared innocent. It's that, but it's so much more. Now God also treats you as innocent. I mean, think about it this way. If Jesus were to show up at your dinner table tonight, and you know Christ, you put your faith in him, you are justified. If Jesus shows up at your dinner table, Jesus, who knows everything, okay? He, he knows your past. He knows everything you've done. He knows the skeletons you have hidden in various closets, all right? He knows your heart. So even, even as you're serving him, Jesus knows your heart motives. He knows your hidden agendas. He knows your secret sin, your dark desires. Listen, though, as Jesus sits at dinner with you, what would you experience from Christ, the one who knows all of that? You would feel his acceptance and his forgiveness. If you know Christ, that's what you would experience. You, your record isn't changed. That stuff's all real. But listen, how God views you changes. And even though you'd say, but I'm not righteous, I'm not noble, I'm not excellent, but God declares you as that. Now, how is this possible? Look at verse 19 and 20. Here's the answer. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How is it possible that, that justification and sin can go together? Listen, here's our third point. I am transformed. I am transformed. What's Paul saying in these verses? I mean, if you've been tracking through this series so far, we're looking for freedom. Where do I find freedom? Where do I find my answers, my hope? Is, is it in self-help? Is it in religion? Is it in, in seeking my life apart from God? Where is this freedom? Paul's saying your freedom is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Paul says, I no longer live. I, I died with Jesus and now Jesus is in me. He's a new life in me. My life is in him. I mean, this verse gives us such a, a deeper understanding of our position with God. Not our performance, not our practice, but our position. We are in Christ. If you know Jesus, that's your place right now. Jesus took your place on the cross so you could have his place. So you could be right with God. You don't become right with God based on your performance, but based on Jesus' performance. And remember, Jesus said, it is finished. So when you know Christ, when you put your faith in him, God no longer looks at you the same way anymore. Now he looks at you and he sees Jesus. 
You no longer live. He sees Jesus. He looks on you and he sees Jesus' love. He sees Jesus' courage. He sees Jesus' wisdom and power. And so when you say, I am crucified with Christ, I no longer live, that's a truth statement of God's view of you. He treats you the same as if, as if you died the death that Christ died. And he treats you as though you live the life that Jesus lived. That's our hope in life. So then what's that mean then? Okay, if that's all true, if I've died to myself, if that's no longer who I am, do I just sit back and cruise through life? Well, it's just Jesus in me now, so I don't need to strive for anything. It's all Jesus now. He'll do the work for me. But look at the rest of the verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But then he says this, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So he says, the life I live as I live out this journey, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to keep both these truths together. Here it is. Jesus lives in me, and I live by faith. Jesus lives in me, and I live by faith. Let me, let me make it practical. Because of the position that you have in Christ, if you know Jesus, because you're in Christ, how does it look to live it out? Here it is. It's no longer your life. Your life is no longer about you. I've been crucified. I wish it said I've been moved, I've been discipled, I've been massaged, I've been adjusted. No, no, I've been crucified. The old life is dead, and now it's not about me anymore. That's the heart of living out the truth of this gospel. Your slogan now becomes, my life is not mine. My life isn't about me. I lay down my life now. I mean, think about that. How many families would look different if we all lived out my life is not about me? How many kids wouldn't be neglected? How many business deals wouldn't go bad? How many churches would not split? How many relationships would not be over? How many broken people could be reached if we lived this out? That my life is not about me. I mean, how different even would our church look? I mean, how different would, would churches look if, if we all had that as our model? I've been crucified with Christ. My life isn't about me anymore, so church isn't about me. It's not about a place where I feel comfortable, right? If, if you don't live that way, here's what happens. You quickly become a church. We become a church. We say, hey, how do you join us? You need to look like us, act like us, do everything we do, like what we like, so we feel comfortable. That's church about me. But church isn't about our preferences. Well, I don't know. I just wish the music was different. Some Sundays I do too. Right? But here's the thing I learned. Not one of those songs is written about me or to me. Right? It's worship that we're giving to the Lord. Even, but serving isn't always, isn't always convenient for me. My life is not about me. Here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart that if we're living out the gospel, church should be incredibly awkward at times. Why? Because people that are not like us are around us. There, There should be people in my life that are hard. Why? Because we live out the gospel. We say, my life is not about me. I even think about this model. How many marriages would look different 
if everybody said my life's not about me? Like I tell you, marriage counseling would be very simple because here's how I would do it. Right, a married couple would come into my office and they'd say, here's our story, here's what's going on. And I'd be able to just look at them and go, okay, you're selfish, you're selfish, love each other unconditionally. Next, right? <laughs> Next one comes in. Oh, it's because you're selfish. It's all about you. Your marriage isn't about you. Love each other. Next, you're selfish. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I'm going to see Pastor Lee if I got a marriage problem because <laughs> Kai's counsel sucks, right? But here's the thing. It's the reality of the gospel. It's not about me. Boy, things look differently. It begins with this truth of the gospel that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What's that saying? It says this, when God looks at me, he sees me as righteous. If you know Christ, it's not about you trying to be good. It's about you remembering this is how God views me. So, so here's the thing. Rather than just saying, I just got to stop sinning, I worry too much. I have to stop worrying so much. I mean, I, I have too much pride. I just gotta, I gotta be more humble. I, 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 I put too much stock in what people say about me. I'm a people pleaser. I gotta stop that. I'm, I'm too fearful. I need more faith. No, here's the gospel answer to those problems, to those struggles. The question we need to ask in that moment is this. What am I using? What dead idol am I grabbing a hold of instead of Jesus Christ? as my righteousness? What idol do I have set up to say, this will make me right? This will give me freedom and hope? What dead idol are we grabbing a hold of? You know, before uh, Harvest, I, I, the other mission I used to run, we do wilderness trips with students. And there was one trip we were on, it was a long river trip in Arkansas and, and floodwaters had just been through recently. So what had happened was there was a beaver that had got caught in a tree in the floodwaters and was dead. And so these two students, Dave and Jay, grabbed this bloated, dead beaver that had been in the sun way too long. They tied a rope around its neck as a leash and began to pull, gave it a name, all right? Bucky the beaver, and Bucky the beaver followed us from campsite to campsite. They would drag him up onto the beach. We would stop for lunch. They would pull up Bucky beside you. They're like, hey, say hi to Bucky. No! Here's the thing. If you, maybe you don't know this about dead animals in the sun. They stink. This thing was huge, just bloated out and disgusting. They dragged it everywhere with them. They would tie it to the end of their canoe. So as we paddled the river, this beaver is floating behind them. Like, great story, Kai. What are you talking about? <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say. As ridiculous as that would be, we do it all the time. Let, let's stop dragging these dead, decaying, powerless, disgusting idols around with us. Stop grabbing our old self off the cross that has been crucified with Christ. It's dead. It's decayed. It's gone, yet we pull it down. And listen, we've been raised new. Don't go after the dead any longer. Don't hang on to that. Don't, 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 don't make it your little pet. I'll just grab this sin. It'll be the thing that's going to bring me life. And it's, it's a dead idol. It's powerless. It, it gives no life. Because of the resurrection, you've been raised again to new life. And so what do we do? We keep seeking things from above, not dead things. 
And yet we keep grabbing a hold that, listen, when we lie, when we gossip, when we're dishonest, when, when we carry and live with unnecessary shame and guilt, when we're looking at things we shouldn't look at, thinking about things we shouldn't think about, when we're going to unhealthy places, we're dragging around these old dead corpses, saying, these are going to give me life. And there are some here this morning, you've given up on ever being able to release the dead things. You see, that this habit has followed me for too long. This addiction can never be broken. This sin that I run to every time, I don't know if I can ever stop going to this shame and guilt that I carry with me. You've concluded that this is it. This is who I am. But listen, God's grace is sufficient. If you know Christ, you put your faith in him. You take this to the cross. He will grow you and change you. You will look more like Jesus. You will love more like Jesus. You will live more like Jesus. Because listen, here's the truth we need to come back to. The most glorious person in all of the universe thought you would be worthwhile to die for. That God would rather give up all of the universe rather than lose you. And so what do we do then? If, if I'm prideful, if, if I'm bitter, if I'm lying, if I'm people-pleasing, if I'm pursuing after sin, here's the answer. Listen, it's, it's because we've stepped in and we've taken that glorious truth and we've made something else besides Jesus and the gospel our righteousness. Listen, if we want transformation to be changed into to the likeness of Christ, it doesn't happen through more religious activity. You will be transformed. You will be changed when you receive by faith the grace of Jesus Christ. When you receive by faith the grace offered by Christ on the cross and then you walk in that truth that you are justified. And you apply that cross to every area of your life. And when we do that, we can no longer walk in the same way. Like, let's reject this lame, powerless, weak substitute of justification by grabbing a hold of religion. Let's reject the lame, weak, powerless substitution. I'm going to pursue after my own thing, my own sin. I'm going to look deep inside myself. Listen, it's powerless. But instead, let's embrace grace. Let's embrace the gospel. Let's embrace Jesus Christ and who you are in Christ. That's the truth we need to apply. This is where brokenness is healed. My question this morning as the worst team comes up as we close off, are you walking in that? Are you walking in that reality of who God declares you to be? Are you walking in that righteousness? Remember, not a righteousness of, of activity, not a righteousness in what you do, but a righteousness in the position of which you stand, that as God sees you, you are justified. That when your faith is in Christ, and if your answer is no, no, I, I'm not living out of that reality, my question would be why? And maybe for you, the answer is, well, I've just never, I've never put my faith in Christ. I've, I've never pursued him. I've pursued all these other things, but I've, I've never rested my whole life, my hope, my faith, repented and turned and said, I want Jesus and nothing else. 
Or maybe you're saying, no, I have done that, but I've, I've been so busy applying energy, trying to give life to these dead idols instead of letting the grace of God through the cross of Christ take away the power of those idols. Listen, the answer to either, if, if you say no for either reason, the answer is the same for both. Run to the cross. What do I mean by that? I mean, come to the place where you cry out, where you recognize who God is, who you are, and what Christ has done. If you don't know Jesus, where you come to a place of repentance and say, I want Christ in my life. If you do know Christ, that you come to that place of remembering, of saying, this is who I am in Christ. Return to the cross each and every day. Not just on a Sunday. Listen, this is good for us to do now, but tomorrow you'll need to return to this truth again. On Tuesday you'll need to return to this truth again. And cry out. Would you stand with me as we do that right now as we pray? Heavenly Father, we need you again today. Lord, would you, would you crucify our old self? Would you crucify these idols? Lord, we know that you've done that, that our standing before you is justified and righteous. Lord God, help us see that reality. That we would know who we are. That we would crucify that old self. And that we live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.